0: Welcome to the Catholic Center. Welcome to the Catholic Center. Welcome to the Catholic
1: Center. Welcome to the Catholic Center. but it changes things. It changes Hey,
0: everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Catholic Dogs podcast. On today's episode, Father Brian sits down with Ryan Colm, who's an active student here at the center and he's also a poet. They talk about the beauty of the mass, poetry, and how to find God in the middle of all of it. As always, if you're interested in what we have going on here at the center, you can follow us on Instagram at Dogs. Enjoy the show. Was that the point of your your question in the beginning is like do you do you ground yourself in poetry? Do you ground your, do you need to ground yourself in other things? Or is that I think were you thinking about this conversation No, I up? wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> oh, I always okay, I always okay. need to ground myself because
1: uh, I mean just in this conversation, like we can get we can we can get very spiritual. Right. Yes. And so how do we even in this conversation, how do we go back to the 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 messy or the the dirty or the the groundedness mm-hmm. right? Um, there, so I have a tendency to do that of just kind of getting somewhat theoretical, theoretical or philosophical or theological. Right. Um, but uh, yeah,
0: yeah, and then the struggle is realizing that those aren't separate things, because I also think we live in a society that's primarily primarily dualistic in its underlying philosophy. Like it's it's saying that while the spiritual life and the physical life do interact, they aren't the same thing. You know, which is hard to hard to combat when when you hear it so often. I think.
1: Yeah, but what I love about Catholicism is that it is yeah. that unification. Yeah, of the, it show like Mass itself shows us, and all the sacraments right. they show us that we're spiritual and physical. Yes, uh, yes. two right, two yes. two things. Um, because we eat, and there's this spiritual reality, but we're still eating, or we're. There's candles and there's uh, actual light. Uh, there's smoke, something that we can mm-hmm. smell. Uh, there's audible stuff mm-hmm. that we can hear mm-hmm. uh, that engages with our humanity, our physicalness.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. That 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 you're mentioning the incense too, because I, I think it's also and and then the music and just all the the sensory things about the mass and about about the Catholic experience are. Excess, you know, not necessary, but they 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 do remind us of that reality, and they they lay on top of the 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 realness of the Eucharist too, and all bring us together exponentially into the realization of the real. Oh, that's really cool.
1: I had someone yeah. recently ask me about what what do I, what does it feel like to consecrate bread and wine and turn into the Eucharist in that moment. Yeah, and. Yeah. For myself it's not really it's not really a feeling it's it's um, I'm more so in that moment kind of hoping that the spirit actually is tugging on people's hearts mm. so that they can see it right so that they can uh, in whatever capacity see what's in front of them mm-hmm. but uh, so i don't I don't necessarily know at least for myself there's not really like a a feeling of it uh, it's more mm. so like a wonder or uh, a marvel that I don't like. I'm kind of speechless, right? You're speechless in front of the mystery. Yeah. Um, but there's also uh, there's also times when I will consecrate Eucharist at Mass, and I won't actually see it. Like in, with like a sp- in a spiritual sense, I won't actually see it. So like. I don't know. Just treat it like another day or another another ritual that I'm doing or whatever, right? Mm. And I feel like that kind of dullness is how we go about life, just kind of in general, mm. right? Yeah. Is that we're kind of dull to that which is in front of us, the people that we walk past, you know, the the um, the sky that is above us, uh, the conversations that we have yeah. with people, uh, the problems that people articulate, or the tone of voice that people articulate. Uh, or the amount of problems around the world. It's like we're kind of dull to it. And I have that I have that experience even with Eucharist. And I'm sure that people have that experience receiving Eucharist as well. Right? Like you mm-hmm. go up in the line and you receive you know, the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Amen. And you go back to the pew and you think about what you're doing after Mass. Right. Mm-hmm. So again, you're kind of dull to that experience. Yeah. But yeah. but I think I feel like the fruit of prayer and oftentimes this is a gift is being awakened to the reality that mm-hmm. is in front of you. Uh, that's the contemplative spirit. That's the contemplative at heart. We're like, in, we're invited to that which is real, invited yeah. to the real, to be placed before it. And and it is speechless, right? There is a speechlessness to it. Uh, right, but the, right, But the poet r- tries to articulate it. <laughs> right. The, the painter tries to paint it. Yes, uh, yes. Myself, as a preacher, I try to prepare people for it. mm mm-hmm. uh, instead of try to... Oh, that's
0: interesting. I've never thought about that before.
1: Instead of try to just yeah. um, you know tell you a hundred times what it is that we're doing, uh, but instead how can I participate in the pre- preparation yeah. so that there is an encounter yeah. with the people and with Christ who is among us. Yeah.
0: And so the role of an artist, whether it's you're uh, being a homilist at the time or you're a poet, is attuning yourself, and other people to the tone of life, to be able to discern Christ's voice in creation around you, like we were talking about with contemplation, and not being deaf to that, and experiencing the fullness of it, because that's what Christ wants us to experience is life at the full. Um, and I think that that was something that always draws me back to art in general, is that that is that time when I experience it is the time when I feel the fullness of Christ's truth most and when I experience it most uh, is in beauty in 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 that overlap of of the real uh, you get a glimpse
1: into it yeah yeah you get a glimpse into beauty itself which is yeah God.
0: which is why I think the the initial question of you know do you kind of just this idea of like how do the how did my experience as a poet and then and or as a writer or whatever it is overlap with the spiritual, it's such an important question is because I don't think I could I could view those two things as separate in when I think about it they're just they're just united <laughs> completely.
1: Yeah, and I think that anyone who does not
0: uh, who isn't
1: religious or isn't spiritual in a sense and they write poetry I just don't think that they would rec- they may not admit it but they're doing something that's very spiritual. Mm-hmm. Right, because they're they're you're, like you said they're creating something. Uh, mm-hmm. They are uh, trying to put towards something that is on their heart. They're trying to put towards something that they know right. to be true, or mm-hmm. something that they desire to be true. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's like you said, it, you mm-hmm. may not be able to separate it.
0: Yeah, and people confront that that reality of honesty of yourself in different ways. Artists do. I mean, uh, like when they have to grapple with that there are tons of ways to compensate with the, the approaching towards heaven <laughs> because it can be scary if you don't know what you're approaching, or it can be scary for a lot of different reasons, if you, if, especially if you don't have Christ comforting you, you know, because there are a lot of um, a lot of things that you have to let go of or things that you have to hold on to that you don't want to when you begin to approach the truth. And so I think maybe that's why there's oftentimes associated with the artist this image of emotional frailty or almost uh, polarity, like, like uh, exaggerated emotions and all these things um, or uh what comes to mind is also this image of the the poet having to drink or smoke or something like that where they have these compensations for for this the raw experience of the truth in different forms and obviously not drinking and smoking isn't necessarily bad or anything like that, but I'm just I'm just using those as examples of where sometimes um people don't know what to do when they approach that the the face of God in on the earth, you know? What do I how do I grapple with this? And if you aren't equipped to do that, it's it's kind of terrifying. Um and and has definitely been for me before for sure when i'm writing poetry and i i'm writing something and it's almost like i'm writing something and i'm realizing it as i'm writing it or realizing it as i'm reading it if it's somebody else's art and i'm just shaking or crying or my heart is beating really fast which are physical reactions to to a, a, a real thing that's occurring which is the approaching of truth you know i think that's another clue that that the physical and the spiritual overlap is that we have those physical reactions to spiritual realities you know um but yeah i mean it's it's scary (laughs) do you look up to other uh like
1: christian or catholic writers
0: oh yeah definitely definitely um but I think that actually my I, I've come to view it as something spiritual gradually as I've gotten deeper and deeper into it. So my initial poets that I looked up to were uh, John Keats, like I mentioned. I watched this movie called Bright Star. Totally recommend it. It's really awesome um, and really sad and beautiful just visually. But it's about his life, and it caused me to want to read his poetry, more, uh, and then also just having memorized things by Robert Frost, who I think was Christian, um, and, and John Keats may have been. I, he, I don't think so, but he may have been. And then, um, thirdly, a big influence I think. Well, third and fourth, Shakespeare, and then also, um, Rilke, and I think a lot of those people in the beginning are Raymond Maria Rilke. He's a German poet. Sorry, I should mention that. Um, and a lot of them are not explicitly religious people, though they have tones of beauty in their poetry, definitely. Uh, and often they, they share many truths, uh, even outside of their own experience with religion. But then as I've come to study poetry more and read it more and write it more, I find myself returning more often to those poets who are explicitly religious and maybe not in their poetry, but just in their lives, you know, Um, because poetry is in some sense about veiling, just like the mass is veiling mystery. Um, but I guess we can talk about that in a little bit, but, um, who, who are some examples? So, I mean, so I was about to get to that. Yeah. So finally, uh, St. John of the cross, I think is a big one. Um, song of songs, honestly, song of songs and, and, and Psalms. And uh, those two books of the Bible, just in general, amazing, beautiful poetry in a lot of places. Um, I was telling somebody recently, and well, I think it was no, we talked about this. How I, <laughs> sorry, we already talked about this, but just how uh Song of Songs, where it's like uh was really my first when I was reading it, I was like, Oh, I don't love God. I don't love love him. Um and I wanted to so much. In that moment, I had the simultaneous experience of realizing that I didn't and that I really, really wanted to. And I knew what it would look like for the first time, like actually, Uh, because I grew up knowing a lot of theological truth and enjoying it and wanting to love God and thinking that I that I did. But not realizing that I hadn't let that drive me to a life of trying to see what Christ saw and to hear what he heard the 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 experience of contemplation. It hadn't led me to that yet, and um, then in preparing for getting married uh, and preparing just in general to be a good um, spouse, I was looking into Song of Songs because I had never read it before. And reading through it, and I remember the first time I sat it down that day. I read it four times and which is not impressive. It's very short. <laughs> um uh but this is not meant to be bragging. It's just that I couldn't stop reading it over and over because it was this this new uh aspect of knowing that Christ was a lover of the church and that um just blew my mind when I was reading it. Uh so I think that that's something that I return to a lot and also St. John of the Cross and his mystical poetry. Realizing that men could be mystics too uh, was a huge part of and is still a huge part of my spiritual experience. And honestly, I need to read a lot more of, of him. I think I haven't read nearly, I haven't barely touched the surface of his work. Um, it would be really cool if I could read it in the Spanish or something. That would be
1: cool. We'll go back to the Song of Songs, oh, yeah, so yeah. what is the Song of Songs? and like we say it's inspired scripture. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Like we believe that there's oh, something yeah. that's communicated to us mm-hmm. through it, uh, intended by the divine, yeah. uh, that reveals to us the divine. Yeah. and so, yeah, what did why did you read it four times?
0: <laughs> so, okay, so. It is a wisdom book of the Bible and it is a poem that is and this is just going off of I've literally I've read it and then one book about it called The Cantata of Love. So check that out if you want more info than I can give. But the way I understand it is it's wisdom poetry written in the four seasons of love about the love between. Okay, it's symbolic of it's it's not explicit. It's symbolic of. God's love between him and his people. And it's a very physical, um, sensory poem. And then I found it in the Bible, and it was just a, it became a, proof to me of that which we've been talking about this entire time a an assertion by god's truth that hey this is this is real it's okay and good when spiritual and physical reality overlap and the the love that is imaged by the love between a man and a woman is one way in which we can begin to understand the mystery of the love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit passing between them, the love of the Trinity and the creation of the world through that. So what happens in Song of Songs? Oh, yeah. Uh, So it's the story of a lover coming for his bride and then the seasons of their love and eventually the uniting of them. So it's very simple overall. What are the seasons of love? Um, what do you mean by that? I mean, I mean like the seasons of the world, like it, it talks about them in a way that is similar to, uh, summer, fall, spring, winter, you know, which I think I said those in the wrong order, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the fourth season, winter, summer, fall, spring, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, but yes, so like it's, uh, it, which is another whole layer on top of it that's really, really beautiful as well, uh, but not even necessary for an initial reading. Um, and actually, it has an interesting history as well. It was considered kind of a dangerous and contentious book. Uh, a lot of debates over taking it out because it was it would be too tempting for certain people to read early in their spiritual lives. So uh, maybe that'll be a, a little a good thumbnail. <laughs> For the Song of Songs, is that it was, you know, oh, you shouldn't read it. You're not ready for this yet, which I'm sure you know some about it. Well, well. since
1: it's a it's passion, right? Yes, yes. It's it's ordered passion. Yes, right. Not all passion can be ordered. Right, right. Sometimes passion is is all over the place, uh, and not good for us. Right, if I'm. if I'm eating 12 hamburgers, then that's not like an ordered passion. That's right. <laughs> that's, <laughs> right. I'm overindulging and that's not good. It's not good for me. Probably not good for anyone who's watching, but <laughs> don't try this at home. <laughs> but, uh, but passion itself is, is like you said, it's, it's, it's the passion of love. Uh, it's kind of a, an eros, which is mm. a form of love. It's the form of erotic love. Yeah. And there's an order to it. And that order is uh, it's beautiful. Ultimately, yeah, it's so beautiful. right? It's kind of the, yeah. it's the the gem of sexuality itself, and it also gives us a glimpse, like you said, into how God loves the world. Yes. Uh, to the point of be, to the point of, generating, uh, to the point of pursuing, uh, in love, the hearts of all in the, in. Um, yeah, so it's it's passion. There's a there's a yes. there's a heated passion that God has for His people. Yes, uh, and it's the same kind of passion that an individual has for their partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who uh, are in relationship, for those who are engaged, like yourself. <laughs> yes, right. Yes, who so, are pursuing another person. Right. Yes, and in yes. in Hebrew, the word mm-hmm. to know uh, is is very much so like a, a spiritual and very personal knowing of that other person, mm. like to know them very much. So to know the, uh, to know the intimate self of the other, mm. uh, again, which is very passionate, which is very uh, erotic in a sense. And so that is, it's insightful on how God it reveals to us how God loves all of us. It's like mm. wanting to know the deepest, intimate parts of our own lives and wanting to come into communion together.
0: Uh, It's a love story,
1: right? Yeah.
0: And I didn't, I, I think I had it in, in, in my mind that God didn't allow that in some way that he would, that love stories were okay, but that they were generally just not that great, you know, like they were like a lower form of story. And, Again, just read it because there's it's so beautiful and there's so much, but... um, And that's what caused me to read it was just over and over. An, another element was that realizing that eros and romantic love was something that God had given a spiritual order to as well and a physical order to in a... Really in just like an epic way in that poem. It's so beautiful. And when you... When you read it and it's and it's lived out physically in that poem, it was just a huge wealth of joy for me. Um, because I just didn't, I guess ultimately, I just didn't really believe that a romantic passion could be ordered. I think it was just that that perception of it was was um, made a fairy tale and disintegrated in reality by so many different things in my life. Um, and then then Christ restored that. And he restored it at the same time, restoring my relationship with him. Um, so, yeah,
1: it's great. It's really good. So it, what's, what's cool is that uh, in a world such as today, we're either over-sexualized or we're... Uh, under sexualized or puritan, right? We're over sexualized, right. yeah. But, he, but here, here's the good news is that actually in scripture, there's an insight into what passionate love looks like, yes. Uh, and it is also the insight into how God sees humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, for God so loved the world, right? Yes. Out of a passionate yes. love for all of humankind. Uh, that he sent his only son into the world Mm -hmm. uh, in pursuit of the hearts of all, Yeah, uh, who continues to give his life in the form of uh, body and blood at the table for all to consume, so that it's like a continued offering, a continued gesture of love.
0: Yeah, yes.
1: But it's like the good news of like, gosh, like is this, especially like, in today's culture, like I said, it's like over-sexualized or under-sexualized, depending on where you fall. Mm-hmm. And I think, and then also, but the good news is mm-hmm. like, there's actually another position. There's yes, another yes, way. Yes, yes,
0: yes. And then oscillating between the two. It's like, every time you experience one, you try to go to the other, you know, as a compensation. So it's like, now that there's this puritanical under-sexualization, well, I'm going to Well, I need passion, so I'm going to go to the completely other end of the spectrum and over-sexualize, or the other way around, which is what happens to a lot of people, which is just that they experience the culture of over-sexualization, and then they run away from it so fast and so hard that they just run past romantic love in its true form, and that's what happened to me, and then Song of Songs restored that, so, yeah. Yeah. So,
1: yeah so John Paul II attempted to communicate something like that oh, yeah. uh, in theology of the body
0: do you feel like all your conversations end up going back to theology of the body because this always happens to me and yeah, I love I, it yeah I love it but it always
1: happens that's funny so yeah. I yeah so he I mean he talks about Genesis and kind of uses yes. that as a Arena to talk about this, but in a in a very real way, basically he's just restoring yeah. love in its proper understanding. Yes, right, and I think that it's something that we we've needed. And in, in, I mean, there was a sexual revolution that happened. Uh, you know, all right, well now we're over sexualized. Okay, well we came from an under sexualized Puritan kind of Protestant culture. Yes, yeah. And now we've wow. kind of swung the other way, and here's John Paul II mm. standing at a microphone for. Mm either months or years, um, proclaiming, actually, there's another way. Yes. There's a, another way of approaching this, and it's yes. a way towards uh, that which is beautiful, who is God.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we need that. I Theology of the body is so necessary and timely. I just, it's amazing. I love theology of the body. It's great. I have uh the, the the full original thing sitting on my shelf quarter quarter red. <laughs> I've read the distilled it's version. Dense. It is it's very dense and yeah, John Paul is he's not the
1: easiest writer either. He's yeah. like he's you're all over the place, man. Yes,
0: yes, but it's great <laughs> because it's almost like I I I think it's like you, you know when you you talk to somebody and uh and they're just so excited that they jump around to a bunch of different stuff. Uh it, that's exactly how I feel when I'm reading it. I'm like, oh, I can tell that he's passionate about expressing these things. And it was cool to realize that popes were like that, <laughs> that they were that they're excited about these truths that, that they were sharing with people. And I think you feel that tone in his writing a lot. I don't know. Yeah, so it's good. Um, but uh, one of the other things that I wanted to to ask is is for you was like what is your when and where did you encounter poetry first like and then have you was there a point in your life where you viewed it as unimportant and then that changed or has it always just been something that you were like oh yeah like it's a generally good thing and and it just kind of I don't know, sit, sits there with you. Like, what's your experience with poetry?
1: Uh, yeah, if I think about it, uh, probably when I'm in high school, mm-hmm. early high school, uh, I started to do creative writing. And creative writing would be, I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. right? <laughs> I call it creative writing. It's, it's like stamp of approval, right? It's yeah, fine. Yeah. Uh, but creative writing, most of it was, um, most of it was, uh, passion romantic and uh that kind of energy of, yeah. like, of like trying to capture the romantic love mm. uh, and trying to articulate that and and um in a way that is dignified in a way that is beautiful like i said instead of like a over sexualized or under sexualized but there's like it's almost like uh, i pursued a creative writing that Kind of found this middle ground and tried to circle it or tried to articulate it, Mm. um, tried to hone in on it. There's something there. Yeah. Right. And And I'd like that and I want that for myself and for other people, et cetera. Why do
0: you think that's the initial quest of so many artists? It's just love and that and experiencing that and contemplating that and defining that. Why do you think that that's like, common and also i feel most of the time like like one of the first things you ever write about or think about in that way
1: because it's it's a powerful thing yeah right it's a powerful thing yeah 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 it's it's a it's um if god is love and we are endlessly pursuing love then very much so God is working through us, mm-hmm. either drawing us to himself or drawing us to others, drawing us to communion. Uh, it's this very strong energy within us, very strong passion within us. Um, and it has the chance of, like I said, drawing us to Christ, right? If you follow the desire, if you follow uh, that which is on your heart, oh, yeah. then you know perhaps you are stumbling upon love itself, which mm. is God.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such like a magnetic draw to it. Yeah, yeah.
1: But it's definitely a powerful thing, and it takes different forms. It's not just passionate, right? So right, the, we say right. there's four kinds of love. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know those four? Uh-huh. I don't know those four. Okay,
0: wait, wait. I think it's, friendship, filio,
1: agape, uh, eros,
0: and what's the other one? I always forget the fourth one. Is it's a- always the fourth one. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what was it? I think it's okay. I'm. T- I, so I should I
1: Google it? Yeah, you just Google it
0: mm. <laughs> because maybe then we'll have something like new to talk about. The four types of love. Gosh,
1: so
0: I always that, forget we, the fourth one. Sh-
1: Storhey? What is that? Uh, fondness of familiarity, family, hmm. f- familiar. Uh, philia stor- storage 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 empathetic love I don't know cool it is uh, affection friendship eros charity so love of affection
0: hmm. like affection without passion in Seemingly, some sense seem- I think I think okay now that we've completely understood this definition <laughs> and, and and contemplated this um,
1: I th- just C.S. Lewis has the book f- uh, for on the four loves. Yeah, 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 we should
0: probably read that at some point. But continue. Um, yeah. Um, oh, and I was gonna say that. I think, just this this when when you mentioned that, what what came to mind was, uh, this conception of dating. Uh, and preliminary romantic relationship to marriage. As a school of affection without passion, or not without, but how to express your affection in a in an ordered, passionate way, and then, but it's almost like you're learning how to do that um, within that context. You know what I mean? That's something I thought about a lot because I've been dating Alexa for that's my fiance. For like uh How long y'all been together? Like four years. Four years. And you're engaged. I think. Yeah. Engaged since this past Easter. So, so weddings on June fourth. That's exciting.
1: That is exciting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, do you mind if I read some of some some poems or anything would you <laughs> want to read? because <laughs> I, like, uh, I like what kind reading of po- my poetry. What kind of, <laughs> what kind of poetry do you got? Well, okay, so I selected some ones that would be easier to just hear, you know? And, like, because um, it's really hard, I think, when you don't have, like, something to read in front of you sometimes. So I tried to pick ones that weren't too verbally complex. Um, So I have one that... Is one of the more recent ones that I wrote, um, that somebody told me was my best one. So, I have that. I also have one that I wanted to talk about. That's um, by Rainier Maria Rilke. The I'm always I always butcher that pronunciation. He has such beautiful the Ger- poetry. The but, German poet. Yeah, the German poet, um, who was a romantic as well. Um, I like. So any of these, I could. I another one that I wrote. Just saying. Uh, (laughs) And then, I mean, really anything. If you want to talk or hear about any of those. Go for it. Okay. Okay. So um, this first one uh, is called, This is the Last Week of Red Maple Leaves. Um, And I wrote this poetry uh, during the (laughs) the last week of red maple leaves because they're so beautiful and they don't last very long. Uh, Is it Japanese maple? No. Uh. Well, some Japanese, some some American, <laughs> whatever, all the different types of maple there are. I, I wasn't, that's not mentioned in this poem. The Canadian <laughs> maples. <laughs> um, I don't even know what they are, but yes, yeah. So or I think, yeah, I was just like, oh, they're leaving. Goodbye. Um, that's sad. But that there's that one, there's like brief period of where they're just so red and beautiful. You know what I'm talking
1: about? Yeah. So yeah. before you even get there, you've oh, yeah. captured a moment in time, mm. right? And the change of seasons. You're you're sensitive to that, uh, whereas for me, I'm dull mm. to it. I just it just happens. I'm trying to like, man, I wish it didn't happen. I wish oh, it, yeah. <laughs> I wish it stayed with fall, right? Yeah. But you're recognizing, no, like this is a real thing. This change of seasons, and you are attuned to this uh, subtle change.
0: Yeah. The, the departure of the red maple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I So go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I don't like things leaving or changing that much either normally, but I, I saw this change and it, it was a new subject of poetry for me. So, um, <clears throat> so this is the last week of red maple leaves. I do the same for hours. I do the same as trees. Let us lean, peer into the water with branch and leaves hanging, my friends. I have freckles from the sun, too. I have calluses like you, Bark, or I must wish I do. I wish that my poetry was like your existence, Silver Birch, silk soft in the sunshine's dense brightness, and resting as birds sung lullaby, sung as a whisper from the bottom of nature's lungs. I do the same. For hours I do the same as leaves. I press one cheek into the loam on the floor of trees' homes, and the other I turn skyward to wait for the lover's kiss of dandelion-wish soft lips, or the sign that any of my lines are as good as the last week of cherry-red maple pigment, leaving faster than anyone ever wished it to. Keats was right about poetry's coming. Anything less is nothing to write about. I do the same. For hours I do the same as drops of water that rush downstream at the perfectly necessary and necessarily perfect speed. Conscious thoughts of spring, they run through hills easily and drop airily about the green necks of flowers that stoop to recover their lost petals and never succeed. it's season passes all i know is that my words should be them cover the everywhere and live in the liturgy of nature's masses that's all Of that one so um first thoughts
1: what my question is is Uh, where does it um Where does it come from in your own heart? Like, what are you trying to uh, find or what are you seeking?
0: In this poem? Or what are you capturing? Yeah. I was trying to capture just how much I want my poetry to be and mean to other people because... There are different pursuits when you're writing. You know, you can write for yourself. You can write for other people. Oh, that's not the only two options, obviously. But um, this poem expresses how I feel about what the poetry of God's creation is to me and how I want my poetry to be that for other people. I wanted to make a poem about God's poetry to share what I read in God's poetry with other people so that they could read that too. So they could encounter what? Encounter? Yeah, what God shared with me, you know. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's what poetry did for me initially was it just taught me how to do that, taught me how to see, as we've talked about a lot um, and I want I wanted to express my desire that my poetry do that for other people. Um, so that's that's the that's the main desire behind the poem. And my poems usually have a desire behind them, I think a central,
1: Desire. You want your own words and your own uh, combination of words to usher folks into the presence of God.
0: Yeah. And not, I mean, when I'm, I don't think, I think the, one of the beautiful things about writing poetry too is that you don't necessarily have to be thinking about that when you're writing it, but then you're writing about something and then you realize that there is a theme. Or then there's this other theme Or I'll share it with somebody and they talk about something that I didn't even intend necessarily to do but that God helped put into my words. Because I don't think um, you could do art without without Christ, you know, because he is the word made flesh. Um, um, But technically, um, the kind of effort behind this poem was to, um, do some rhyming because it had been a while since I wrote poems with rhymes and I love writing poems with rhymes. It's just a little bit more difficult as you know, or yeah, as you might guess, (laughs) you know, like you're a little bit more constricted and beauty and freedom come from good rules, not no rules at all. So, uh, I wanted to go back to that a little bit, but then, I also couldn't do it fully, so I just, every other stanza, um, I'm exercising repetition with I do the same for hours, I do the same as this thing in the creation. I think it's also a poem about being part of creation too, being one of those created things along with the trees and the leaves. And the drops of water, you know, you're part of that too. It's kind of about that as well. So
1: it's interesting how yeah. the red maple leaves
0: spurred that in you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I I uh, I don't I don't remember what moment it was that I went from seeing those. I remember I was driving back from Alexa's house and in her neighborhood it's got these lines of, like, maple leaves in it, and I think some of them aren't even maple, but there was just a lot of red leaves, and um, I was driving back, and I remember that image sticking in my mind. It's really beautiful during the fall, but I knew also her dad is a, he's a head of a research lab at UGA, and he does research on trees and stuff, and so he was telling us, guys, appreciate these leaves, because they're going to be really gone. They're gone really soon, because he knows the timing of it all. And so I would had that on my mind, and then also was driving through, and then I was also thinking about how much I want my poetry to be to other people, and all those things just kind of came together. Mm. Yeah. Um Synthesized yeah. into one. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and poetry is is so often just about. Synthesis, you know, I think I read this quote one time that says, we get it, poets, things are like other things, <laughs> um, which I just thought was funny because it, and then also it made me feel terrible because I look back at all my poems and it's just like, that's it, <laughs> you know, like, that's all we do. It's just like point at this thing and we're like, it's like this other thing uh, and just the intercontextuality of reality is is the central focus of all my poems and just realizing that God's in it all and he is the connection between those things. He's the, the style of artist. It's his style that makes all these things, oh, similar, you know? It's like uh, when you see the difference between Picasso and Rembrandt, you immediately know looking at the painting, okay, this is the differences between them. And they're both beautiful, but they have different styles. And God's style, you, I like pointing that out in nature, you know? Um, in, in creation uh, and in people and, and the realities that exist between them because God has a style too, you know?
1: Well, Christ gave all of these parables. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The kingdom of heaven can be likened to, right? He's, he's, <laughs> right? he's, doing, he's doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's pointing to two different things.
0: I know, and I'm sure the apostles at some point were, were like, we get it. <laughs> things are like other things. Yeah. <laughs> Um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so So what about yeah. what about the other uh the other poem? Oh yeah that you had. Yeah, yeah. So um well there's a do you want me to read another one of mine or I think I should probably read another one of mine. Sure. Yeah, because I don't know if I could speak as personally about Rilkas and it's also translated and the translation is a bit iffy on the PDF that yeah, I have. Yeah, read. read another one of yours. Okay, alright, so and this is the last one that I'll read don't worry, so uh, okay, so this one is called Useless. My eyes and the tips of dirt-filled fingers catch a roly-poly and turn it back on its belly. Its little legs flicker and my line lingers my mind lingers on how utterly useless it was when it fell. It runs quickly over the dirt that covers my hopefully glorious gladiolus bulb, with its rainbow skin, that senses its lover who is a whispering water drop, which is yellow made by the sun and seeps down through the sombre soil, and thought it was useless too until it touched the down of the soft skin that surrounds what brought it. I know a man who thinks his mother prayers in that foggy garden while planting flowers useless. He waits full and fuller hours for all answers and groans because he thought his prayers bruiseless. Hours and fuller hours later, as his child sits in front of him Eyes wide, he consoles the boy who ran from a world thought mild that turns on him with deep core and doles his muddy, clear creek-water-venturing days. With the revelation of a dead bird and a dying river oak, which struck him with the days of decay reeling all the way back to gentle father's crying, The father cries with him and sees the grace of his own prayers and feels the hair rise on his arms as he holds the boy's freckled face and tells him to keep crying out against lies that drown him in tears and tell his fears to go somewhere deeper where his soul lies to be met solidly by someone that rears the boy better than anything under darkness skies.
1: And so what was the captured moment in, of this one?
0: Um,
1: your intention.
0: I was planting gladiolus, which is just a, like a bulb flower that (laughs) they, they last like for such a short period of time. It's ridiculous. And they take forever to come up, but they're so beautiful. Um, and I was planting them and that thing happened with the roly-poly where he just flipped on his back and he just couldn't do anything about it at the second. And so I like flipped him back over and he, you know, scurried off or whatever. And, uh, I just thought about how many people feel like that, like they have to be flicked back onto their their legs to do anything, or or they feel like they do something that they're intending to have a use, um, like these drops of water which rain down onto the gladiolus, and then get there, and think they're not doing anything, and they seep into the bulb, and they think they're not doing anything for so long, and then suddenly they have this beautiful effect of sprouting and then flowers. And so the central thing here was that much like that prayers too can really feel like that sometimes, but God answers them in ways that you'll never expect a lot of times. Um, because they, those prayers grow into something that didn't exist when they landed. Um, and I think it was also because at that time when I was writing it, I was experiencing a lot of like uselessness in my own spiritual life, feeling like my prayers weren't really making a difference, you know, which I think can happen sometimes, but I wanted to write a poem that encouraged people because it was after writing this that well it was, yeah, so it was during writing this that I had that. So what actually, sorry, so this is complicated because I wrote the first half of this poem, which you may be able to tell because like it seems like I kind of jump from this image of like the roly-poly and everything to this this guy. Um, it's because I wrote this poem, several months apart. Like I wrote the first part with the water drops seeping through the gladiolus bulb and I just stopped and I was like, well, this poem's not done yet. (laughs) And I'm not, I don't know what else to write right now, but I guess it will grow. And then a couple months later, when my prayers had really come to bear and had grown, I remembered this poem and remembered how I felt useless and wanted to finish it. And so I guess also in in some sense this poem is time-wise an image of, of that growing, of that change that happens in us through God over time. So... Yeah, this poem began with a lot more nihilistic of a conclusion than it ended with. Um, which was good. <laughs> uh and, and why well, I wanted to share it as well.
1: That's prayer in itself. Where we uh we in a sense we gain a hope that was no longer that was not there at the beginning. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Wow. I never thought about that before. But yeah, that's super true.
1: That's why I like Nihilism and nihilistic jokes, (laughs) nihilistic TV shows. You like them? (laughs) I like them because, like, it's exactly where it's exactly the place where the good news needs to go, and it makes the good news like make sense. Yeah. Yes. It makes that hope, the gospel. It makes the it makes that hope all the more brighter. Right. It illuminates all of that darkness. That's cool. Yeah. So my downtime, I
0: watch nihilistic things and read nihilistic (laughs) things (laughs) because you're like oh no this could be better (laughs) (laughs) this could be a lot better yeah yeah that's funny yeah wow well that's a good take to have on it
1: well ryan i appreciate you yeah i appreciate you i'll close in a prayer i appreciate you in the name of the father son holy spirit lord we give you thanks for ryan we ask that you bless his relationship uh that he's in with his fiance, with you, with his family members and friends, uh, continue to pour out uh, the grace of your vision upon him that he may continue to see you and uh, foster an encounter with you in and through his poetry. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Changes, but it changes things. It changes
0: things. thank you for listening to the catholic dogs podcast the catholic center is located at 1344 south lumpkin street for more info on how you can get involved check out our instagram at catholic dogs see you at mass